So is this, uh, is this actually working? I can't really tell. Can you hear me? Is it on? Is it, it is working? Okay. All right. Very good. <clears throat> early in the morning, I'm sorry, the early morning crud, you know. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's great to, great to be here and great to see all of you. And um, I would ask you to uh, try as best you can to, uh, to develop a spirit and attitude of prayer as we as we traverse these next few minutes. Um, I was assigned a topic. I, I sort of halfway volunteered for this topic and then afterward um, considered myself a fool for having done so. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm overwhelmed with the sense that I cannot do this. And I think you'll understand what I mean, and so I need uh, you know, your full cooperation and, and maturity as we labor to uh, look at these verses. Um, I will labor to be discreet um, and careful in my word choices. I'll ask you to be la- uh, laboring to receive what I'm trying to say and uh, maybe even uh, connecting some dots that I cannot connect publicly today for time's sake and for the fact that we are a mixed congregation. Uh, the topic is sex and gender, and um, it's not an easy topic to talk about. So I tell my students at school when we come across these things, awkward alert. Just, just be alert that there will be moments of awkwardness here. So just that's the way it is. I may even sound a weirdness alert a time or two. We'll, do, we'll see about that. But um, that's, that's where we're headed. So I'm going to read the text, and then I'd like to, to pray, pray with you, please. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which comes right after the section in 3 that talks about love abounding one to the other and abounding love. So I want, I want this to very much be centered in, the, in, the, uh, in uh, the concept of love. So chapter 4, verse 1, Paul will say to the Thessalonians, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence. You probably don't use that word on social media. Strong desire, especially of a sexual nature. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. And that's our title, called unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. And then he proceeds to talk about love again. And then the second coming, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
I enjoy drilling down deep in Scripture, but I also enjoy zooming out sometimes and getting the 30,000-foot view. So from love to sex to love to the second coming and ever with the Lord. That's the outline. Isn't that wild? (laughs) You would never imagine putting these things together. At least I wouldn't. Seems like these don't fit, and yet they did in holy writ. Let's pray. And now, Almighty God, I, I come at this moment to ask for divine help for each of these people who have to listen to this, and um, for me and my responsibility to have to say it. Um, it's a privilege. You have made us this way, and you have designed things in such a way that you get all the glory and honor. You are honored and celebrated, and your love is experienced and understood in part, here, even through our sexuality. And so, Lord, we pray that you, you would give us grace, that we can be, um, as mature people, looking into mysteries. I pray, Lord, that anxieties that will undoubtedly arise, because all of us are broken in this area, and fears and deep regrets and guilt would all grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, I pray. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Now, you probably know that we are stepping here into sacred ground. The world has made sexuality the most unsacred of ground. But the Bible will have nothing of that. We're stepping into sacred ground here, ground which is very tender for those of you who are in your teen years especially and young adults. If you are a Christian today, if you are born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, believing on Christ, you want to please God. I'm approaching this with that assumption that your goal, your desire, is to please God. Um, if that is not the case, I would, I would ask you to pursue the Lord, look into the mysteries, seek His face, ask His help. But I'm going to assume that most, if not all of us here today, have a desire deep down to see a smile on God's face and not a frown. It's not much better than the, in fact, I can't think of anything better than the smile of God. And the text will deal with this. If you're a Christian, you want to please God and you want to know the will of God for your life. My guess is that somebody has asked the question this uh, conference. Somebody here has said, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Yes? Um, if you're not asking the question, you're dead in trespasses and sins, I suppose. But if you really are alive, I mean, if you have a pulse, you really do want to know, what does God, what does he have for my life? And what would be the choice that I should make, or choices that I should make? And uh, Paul, of course, takes the mask away from it all. The mystery blows away the smoke and says, here's the will of God for you. Um, even your sexual purity. Isn't that interesting? The very question that we are all asking, I'm, good night, I'm afraid to tell you how old I am, you may not listen to the rest of the sermon, 
but it's pretty far up there. And, um, and even I am asking the question, God, what is your will for the next stage of my life? What do you have for me? Some people older than I in the room are asking the same question. Don't ever stop asking it. Lord, help me to see your will. And the apostle will say here, I have a real big revelation for you. Part of the will of God, a big piece of the will of God is that you abstain from sexual immorality. No mystery, no surprise, no smoke, no mirrors, just straight truth. Um, You want to please God. You want to know the will of God for your life. And you would really like some help with this whole impurity, impulse, with which you undoubtedly all struggle. So I won't ask for a show of hands or anything like that. And um, if you feel like you just can't make eye contact with me right now, I understand. (laughs) But um, answer inside yourself. Have you ever struggled with sexually impure thoughts? Well, the fact is... um, Primitive Baptists have always been really good about preaching total depravity. You've probably heard that term, total depravity. This is uh, the notion that we are fallen people, we're sinners, and we have no ability to recover ourselves from that fall. We have to have intervention from outside ourselves to recover. It's called salvation by grace, in case you didn't know. Fact is, we're all sinners, and you hear that a lot. It's a room full of sinners, right? Now I'm going to take it one more step. This is a room full of sexual sinners. Can we go there? Don't, don't nod or say amen. Please just silence is perfect right now. <laughs> this is a room full of sexual sinners. Are there any sexually broken people here? Well, are there any who are not that? That is, if we are of certain age, obviously, God only entrusts this gift to certain people. Um, and usually they're 12 or 13 or older. God doesn't entrust this gift to younger people. Parents, if there are younger people than that in here, you please, you're not going to offend me if you feel like you need to bow out, understand. Um, Again, I will be as Solomon, try to be as Solomon, good night, how could you do that? I'll try to be as Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he says the preacher sought out acceptable words. I'll try to do that. I love the fact that the King James oftentimes obscures, have you ever noticed that? You're reading reading Song of Solomon, maybe you don't do that yet. And you realize that some of the, boy, what he's talking about here is, good night, that's, okay. And and then you realize the translators were brilliant in the way they phrased these things because a child could read this and, and enjoy it for what it is. And an adult can read it and see there's so much more there. Seek to do, seek to do the same thing. Well, Um, Where I'm going is that I I know that where I was heading was I think that all of you undoubtedly want help in fighting back against a a culture of impurity. Um, We're we're living in a day, and honestly, it's just like it's always been. We just have mechanized and digitized ways to do it now, but the Corinthians and the New Testament era were in worse shape than you probably as far as the culture goes. It was... uh, it was really a sexualized culture for the city of Corinth, apparently, back in the days of the Apostle Paul. So anyway, the point is we're dealing with the same thing people have always dealt with, but I'm assuming you want some help with this. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you do. And um, there is help to be found. You're not alone in the struggle. 
Um, for a long time, I feel like people have not quite known what to do with this topic. Um, yeah, and so they didn't do anything with it. <laughs> Maybe you know what I'm talking about. This, it feels like um, this is a topic that gets talked about everywhere in the sorriest of ways, except church and, or a Christian school, which is I spend a lot of my time in a Christian school, and like we talk about everything under the sun except that. Um, now, there's a reason for this that's not bad. Um, the fact is, this is the holiest of things. Our sexuality is, is um, the holiest of things that God has given us that is in his image. And so, therefore, sometimes the holier the thing, the less that can be said about it without sullying it. You know what I mean? Without making it kind of dirty. Um, if you've ever had a sacred experience with the Lord, many of you have, you know that words fail you when you try to talk about it. And it's sometimes true that the words you put to it make it not as valuable as it was before the words were put to it. So I just want you to know there's a reason that people have been pretty silent about this in the past. We don't want to mess it up. We want to get out of the way. But I also want you to know that done discreetly, carefully, and especially reverently and Christ-centeredly, Talking of sex is not a bad thing. Paul will warn us, you know this, Paul will warn us very carefully not that no crude talking, no crass joking about these matters is permissible, just because that ruins us. Not because God is a killjoy, but it ruins us to put a bunch of sorry old jokes and crass and crude talk to this most sacred topic. So for a long time, we really haven't known what to do with this. I'm not sure we still do. But the Bible is full of it. (laughs) It's everywhere, all over the Bible. Um, And I'll explain why, perhaps, before I'm done. I hope you guys are planning to stay at least another day, right? (laughs) It's a big topic. Um. We haven't known what to do with this. Um, Our sexuality is the most powerful urge we have. Maybe hunger, maybe hunger is a bit more powerful. But because we live in a country, uh, in a part of the world where food is readily available, we don't really think of, of the food urge in the same way. And so we live in a culture where, um, where sexuality is the most powerful driving force human beings have. I think, it's, I think it's safe to assert that. Um, it is so powerful that, of course, it is full of disastrous consequences if mismanaged. The Bible has several very lively examples of mismanagement, um, sin, outright sin against God, and the consequences were disastrous. You probably know people who are currently in the experience of the disaster of bad sexual choices. Um, This topic is uh, comparable to nothing else, so far as we can tell, in this world. It even has the power, it has the power to take us to the highest heights, and it has the power to even create new life. 
This is big, brothers and sisters. This is very, very big. Now you, at the age as many of you are, are or soon will be the inheritors of this great gift. It's an inheritance. You didn't work for it. You didn't even ask for it. My, my son is 10 years old, and we start to watch a movie, and he says, Daddy, does this have any kissing in it? <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> it's got kissing in it. I don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> He's not asking for any of this. Praise God, yet. <laughs> um, but you will inherit it. And it is among, if, if not just very, very, very near the top, of God's greatest gifts. Um, right now, most of you are single, and so you're having to ask, well, what do I do with this inheritance? What do I do with this? You're having to ask that question. What do I do with my inheritance? And you're single, and so the Bible says what you will do is you will, you will suffer. You will struggle. Um, that's hard, that's hard for me to say because, honestly, those of us who are older and whose hearts are tender for you guys, I'm sorry, um, we want you to avoid all the suffering possible. We, we want to help you not have to suffer. Almost all parents are this way. They want their kids not to have to suffer through the things that you have to suffer through to become an adult. We desperately want to try to take the pain away. But some things God has ordained that we only grow to maturity through the pain, through the struggle, through the suffering. It's God's way in this world, in the current setup, post-Adam's fall. Right now you're single, so you will struggle. Right now your sexual instincts are like a monster on your back in some instances. It's a minute-by-minute struggle, second-by-second sometimes. Right now, you're called to abstain from sexual activity in a culture that pulsates this activity everywhere, constantly. You're being told, yes, yes, yes. And then you turn to the Bible or your parents or your pastor, and he says, no, no, no. It's an enormous contradiction, right? That you are having to face in ways that, that even uh, my generation didn't. So, you're living in a day when the culture has made shipwreck of sex. Welcome to the ranks of the outnumbered, right? <laughs> you are the favored few. You're among the favored few who are going to say, I have a higher road to travel. I have a higher calling than that of the world. I understand sexuality to be something far superior to what the world, particularly Hollywood and, you know, all of this, thinks it is. And I hope you're able to see what that is here in just a few minutes. Now, maybe you think I'm being a little bit dramatic, and maybe I am. Or maybe I'm being a little bit idealistic to think that you guys might actually be willing to listen to what the Bible says and do what it says. Just imagine that. Oh, the Bible said this. I'm going I'm to act as if it really means business with me. 
Imagine that. What if 100 people, I don't know, 200 people, whatever there are, what if we, what if we actually decided to do what we were told last night, to receive the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of man? Well, I'm telling you, the fruit of that life is incredible <clears throat> for now and eternity. You may think I'm being a little bit idealistic, but there are many of you who want to do the right thing, I'm convinced. And some of you are already feeling the cloud of shame settling over you. If you're awake at all, um, I, I was really kind of glad that I was going first this morning, even though that's not a good time for teenagers. Thought, well, at least this topic will keep us awake. Maybe not. We might all fall asleep before we're done. I'm not sure. But if you're awake this morning... Um, and really able to track with this, it's possible that waves of shame and guilt are already beginning to come over your soul. You've messed up in some fashion. You're afraid you're going to mess up. Maybe there will be other big mess-ups down the road, and what will be the consequences of that? You've known the Bible enough to know God doesn't let these things alone. Well, guess what? If that is happening, you're not alone. Please, you are not alone, okay? Um, the struggles with sin that we face are all very real. And um, your, chances are the person sitting next to you is struggling with a lot of the same stuff that you're, that you're struggling with. So, so I want us to know that we are we're here as a room full of sinners. And I hope that the, even the next few minutes can be of some help. All right, so one more little thing. And then I've actually got a little brief outline that kind of falls out of the text. Um, I think, I think the Lord would have me go there, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. So one more thing. Um, I am talking openly about sexuality in, the, in this talk, and I, I, I want to offer um, a kind of stance, and that is that um, I believe that sexual love is sacred. I guess you've gotten that. That it's sacred and it is to be greatly revered. So again awkward alert. (laughs) But we are coming at this as believers in Christ who invented sex. Yes? Okay. Now, um, we're dealing here with uh, nuclear energy. You don't put anybody in a nuclear reactor. This has to be carefully guarded, um, even patrolled, and um, reevaluated, reassessed, continually Uh, Even those of us who are older are having to come back to look at our sexual selves again to figure out, am I on the path or not? Have I missed it? Where have I missed it? Where do I need to repent? If you feel today that you have missed it, if you feel today the shame of having gone somewhere you should not have gone, there are wonderful things in the Scripture for you. You may be thinking, well, God is just up there like he's just ready. You know, he's just like, he's just ready. If I make one more false move, boom, he's going to just descend on me and fiery wrath and indignation, and that's that. Well, there are people who will receive this from God. He is that kind of God. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're protected. You will not receive that. You are protected as a believer. What does the Lord say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Fact is, if you've messed up, God Almighty is waiting to hear you repent. And His forgiveness is full and free. If we have time at the end, we'll take time to do that. To pray and confess and receive God's pronouncement of pardon. We'll see. All right. Okay. Are you still glad you came? (laughs) My students tell me that the 8 o'clock classes are the worst because they say I have this soothing voice that just kind of puts them to sleep. It's like, it's like, I'm actually a very intense person wrapped up in a laid-back package. So it's like inside, this is like... <laughs> um, let me try to cut this up three ways based on the text. So you see, of course, that it says that uh, it is God's will that we please him. That was in the text, that we please the Lord in walking with him. And then he gives us the specific he has in mind, we please the Lord in sexual ways. You may not have thought of it that way, but that's the text. And then it says that every person should possess his vessel. Um, Greek scholars differ right here, but I'm going to go with those who say that's talking about our human body. That you possess your body in sanctification, that's, you know, set apart for holiness and honor. Uh, Pleasing God, uh, being good for yourself. And then he ends that section by talking about not going and defrauding a brother. Do you remember that language? It's odd language for us. Um, That means not overreaching to pull something that belongs to someone else over into your sexual domain. This happens all the time. I remember years ago when uh, my wife and I were courting that, that uh, someone told me, you know, if you kiss a girl who is not your wife, you may just be kissing someone else's wife. And what they meant by that was, God sees the end from the beginning. And though that girl may be only 16 years old, And she's not anybody's wife. God sees the end from the beginning. She really is somebody's wife, right? One of these days. Anyway, I know that's that's a weirdness spot. Okay, that's weird, right? Strange. Um, Paul has this idea of our interaction with other people gets really wonky really fast if we inject sexual love into that, the broader community. Love one another. It's all over the Bible. We'll talk about the differences here in a moment. So Paul here is going to say brotherly love, but not sexual love to others. Okay. So I guess what I'm trying to do is divide this three ways. Um, Your sexuality has to do with God, pleasing Him. It has to do with you yourself. You are doing yourself a favor to follow the biblical norms with regard to you're doing yourself a favor and and you're doing your neighbor a favor you're loving your neighbor those three things are right there in the text okay so let's start with neighbor let's just start there let's we'll go backwards i heard brother bradley one time preach a sermon all the way through romans 8 got to the end and he said now i preached romans 8 forward 
Let me preach it backward. He started the last verse and worked his way right back through to the first. Uh, I'm going to preach this one backwards, okay? My brain just works this way. Sorry you're subjected to my um, selectivity in this regard. So I'm going to go backwards. So there's an outward orientation, an inward orientation, and an upward orientation, just to put it as plain as possible. Thinking about sexuality outwardly. Now, when it comes to how we relate sexually to other people, those around us, this is complicated, I'm not going to spend much time here, but Paul says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother, take something from another that belongs exclusively to them. Of course this applies for adultery or what the Bible here calls fornication, uh, but there are other ways as well. Sexually speaking, you are um, not to be taking something from others that belongs to them. Now, um, this is where God shows us how he set up boundaries around this. Boundaries around this. Um, our, our world knows little about boundaries. We, we dislike them. I admit, I don't like fences very well. Uh, I want to do what I want to do. You want to do what you want to do. But God has set up some boundaries to say, look, this is the kind of thing that is so powerful that we have to vow you to it. V-O-W. You have to be vowed to this to be able to enjoy it. It's that powerful. The, 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 the boundaries are set up. So um, in the text, um, you know, don't defraud your brother. It literally means to be so covetous of, so desirous of something that someone else has. This is very easily covered, I know you could say this, from the second great commandment our Lord gave. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, not sexually, but in other ways. So to take an intimate privilege with another person with whom you are not in a covenant relationship, that's the key, not in a covenant relationship is to overreach, and according to the text, to defraud a brother taking something that is his or hers and acting as if it belongs to you. Now, sexuality mishandled in this way, of course, always attracts God's attention. You don't have to look very far in the Bible to see this. But I will go over and uh, just for a minute, I'll mention 2 Samuel 11. King David violates... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He defrauds his brother. And we heard a little bit about that during, I guess it was yesterday's Q&A. Um, the idea that David would actually take another man's wife for himself. This attracted God's attention. And of course the text tells us what happens is the Lord is the avenger of all such. Now I'm trying not to get preachery right here. This is where preachers like to Pound the pulpit. The Lord is the avenger and all of all such. This is where you want to get. But honestly, this is so powerful that yelling is not necessary. God is the avenger. This is the kind of thing that in a still small voice creeps up on you. God is the one who says, I'm watching how you're treating your brother or sister, your neighbors, your friends, your social media contacts. I'm watching. You know, of course, that just electronically speaking, we don't live in a world anymore where you can do something stupid and then hope nobody saw you. You don't live in that world. You can't do something really foolish these days and hope that you get by with it. Um, everything that you do on this, 
every tap, every hover, um, every, uh, you know, click. Is that still a thing? I guess click with a mouse. Um, it's all tracked. And it's uh, information that's being funneled to the attention engineers. That, that is a thing. They're watching you. They're figuring out what you like, what you want. They're funneling to you just exactly what you have yourself told them you like by your actions. Uh, that's the world we're living in, and it's a pretty scary world, it's honestly. Um, if you have one of these, you have a portal to the evil spirits John talks about in 1 John chapter 4, right in your pocket. I remember a man telling me one time we were, we were talking about um, pornography, and he said, he said, you know, this was, okay, this is in the, like, 80s. Yeah, I'm that old. Back in the 80s, he said, you know, it's so prevalent. You could go right down here to the corner to that store and go check out a videotape, VHS video. Anybody ever heard of that? Videotape, and take it back to your house, and you just got it. It's so, it's so accessible. And we were just, like, jarred thinking about, good night. I can't believe how easy it is to get this stuff. And then there was cable, and then there was streaming, and then there was, oh my goodness, you don't have to go anywhere, right? Right there it is, as plain as day. Um, are we loving, um, I don't want to get too far afield here, but are we loving our neighbor if we are taking something from the neighbor, exploiting him or herself, via pornography or anything else. Are we loving our neighbor? I don't think so. Um, the Bible is full of this. David takes, a, takes a, another man's wife. God's vengeance comes upon him in the sense of his corrective discipline in this instance because he was his child. And it's really interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but here's what God said to David. He said, you did this thing in secret. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? David had an affair with another man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And um, he said, you did this in secret. What's going to happen? The fruit of that is the same type of action is going to happen in your household by those you love in full public display. Now, yes, did you get the force of that? You did it in secret. Okay, nobody knows. Good. But remember, you don't live in a world where you can do things and people don't know. Actually, you never did, for there always were the eyes of the Lord going to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the evil and the good. Always God has known. So God knew in David's time, even before there were smartphones recording everything we did. <clears throat> and sure enough, 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord says this is going to happen openly by people you love, you're going to hate it. 2 Samuel 16, Absalom staging this revolt, etc., 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 spreads a tent out up on top of the palace, takes his father's concubines, and there it is before all the eyes of Israel. What David had done in secret now gets played out by his son and his concubines right out there on the rooftop. And David is, I mean, he must be just mortified. Okay, it's a great lesson for us about this other aspect what if the thing, what if the thing that you've done in private and secret that you're ashamed of were displayed to the whole world, especially if it were done by people you dearly love? 
Well, it's, this is pretty serious stuff. See, God is the avenger of all this. This is, this is kind of the other orientation, the outward orientation, so, so, so much more. So no wonder, he says, the call is to holiness. Now, I feel like a lot of times talk about sexuality in Christian circles kind of ends right there. Like, come on, guys, your witness is going to be messed up. Come on, guys, you know, you're called to higher things than that. Come on, we want to be really good people, and we want to look like really good people. And it kind of ends there in some instances. But uh, Paul does not end there. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop soon because of time's sake, but there's a Q&A this afternoon. Let's look at the inward for a minute. Can we transition to the inward for a moment? From all that outward aspect, it's huge. Societies fall apart because sexuality is mismanaged. But they're actually built up when sexuality is managed well. It's, societies flourish on good sexuality. Okay, so, well, let's think about inward, the inward aspects. Look at, look at verses 3 and 4 again. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Very personal, right down to you right now. So you could plug your name in there where it says your. This is the will of God, even Thomas's sanctification. That Thomas should abstain from fornication. We don't use that word that much anymore. Fornication is uh, actually pornea. It's the word from which we get pornography. Um, that she should abstain from. It includes that, pornography, but all sexual immorality, that we should stay away from it. Why? Because it is a, it is a nuclear uh, uh, substance. It will destroy when mismanaged, mishandled. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Believe it or not, <clears throat> all of this talk here by Paul is, is truly about love. All this talk about the will of God, about abstinence, about channeled passions instead of broadcast passions. This is, this is all where we live. But believe it or not, it's all in this context of love. All right. Now, English is, is, I love the English language, and it's really the only one. Everybody I admire, really, really admire, speaks like multiple languages. I figured out one day, the most articulate people in the world in English are the people who know another language well. I'm not one of those, so sorry to disappoint you. Um, but English, as much as I love it, is depleted when it comes to love language. We have one word for love. I love pizza. I better say it this way. I love mint Briar's chocolate chip. What am I trying to say? Briar's mint chocolate chip ice cream. I love that. Okay. I love my wife. Wait, am I talking about the same thing? I, I used the same word. I'm not really much of a dog lover, but uh, over there at the Cannons this morning, I, I fell in, you know, just in love to the extent I can with this dog named Allegro. I love Allegro as much as an undog lover like me can. <laughs> and I love my wife. And I love Christ. Wait, I'm using the same exact word, but you know I don't mean the same thing, I trust. Don't you know that? So here we are as English people having to figure out, which kind of love are you talking about? What do you mean love? You know. There's this funny thing on here. Have you ever noticed this? There's, so somebody can send you a text, and then you, there's a response you can do that is... Um, why am I preaching to the choir? Good grief. Um, the, 
there's this thing you can do that has a little heart on there, and whenever you touch that, then it comes back and says, you loved so-and-so. <laughs> and I first started seeing that, I thought, that is the weirdest man alive. What are you talking about? We have this love word thrown everywhere, and songs about it, movies about it, tons of research about it. Everybody seems to have something to say about love. But in the Greek language, they're much more precise. And in Greek, you have these, and I, I'm not a scholar, so you, I, I, I fear I will be laughable at some of this, but I have a basic idea I could give you. And it goes something like this. There, there are four loves in Greek, four different kinds of love. Um, you have a love, storge love, and, and storge love is the kind of love like I love mint chocolate chip ice cream, Briars in particular, or Bluebell if I can find it. You can't get it in Virginia. At least not very often. Um, Briars, mint chocolate, I love that. Storge, I love that. Uh, you might say I love baseball or, you know, I love hot weather or something. I don't know. Um, this is storge love. And, and, then, and then you have phileo or filio love. This is, this is a love of brotherhood. Um, at our school, every spring, we have a, a gala event, a very a beautiful formal dinner, Crystal Ballroom and Hotel Roanoke downtown, and everybody dresses up. And um, it's on my happy privilege every year to give a, a speech to a senior graduating that is a blessing to them. And I usually have a young man, and the young... And the young man is standing there, and I'm, I'm reading this blessing that I have, I have known him since sixth grade, so all these years I've known and taught him, and I'm reading this speech to him. And at the end, I always give him a bear hug and say, I love you, man. You know what I mean, right? We do these kinds of things. I love you, man. This is phileo love. This is brotherly love, entirely appropriate among everybody here brotherly, sisterly, affection for each other. Phileo. And then there's one you've probably heard of, agape love. This is where we always go uh, to talk about God, agape. And agape is this wonderful love that um, it, it, um, it finds its delight in the delight of its object. Let me try to explain. So, so, so the way that love works is, I'm happiest when the one I love is happy. So I bring my wife flowers, and she says, oh, honey, you shouldn't have this. It's so beautiful. I just look, I love them. They're so pretty. They smell so good. And she's happy. And my heart just was like, it's only $4.99. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's Kroger <laughs> special. And, but man, this is great. She's been made happy by an act by me. And I... And I am happy because she is happy. Um, <clears throat> well, God, oh my goodness, he is all over this one, right? Agape, God's love um, to us, to, to regenerate us, re-life us, um, to give us a new way of being human and give us the joy of the Lord in the process of that. God is made happy when we are made happy. Yes, indeed, agape. But then, as you know, or some of you know, there's a fourth Greek word, and it is the word eros, E-R-O-S. The first three are not defined in a sexual context at all. The fourth one is exclusively that, sexual. Eros, um, 
the kind of love that is physically enjoyed um, by biblical parameters within a marriage relationship of one man, one woman, one flesh for life. Eros. So when you say you love something, I hope you might be able to think categorically. Which, which category am I talking about here? What do I mean? Paul is here exclusively talking, or, or, or directly, I will say, directly talking about eros. Um, where, do, where does eros fit into this? Sexual love, love so intense, so whole person consuming, so marked by um, ecstasy, delight, joy, that Satan has attacked it more than any other form of love. Are we safe to say that? I think, I mean, it's an assertion, I admit, I can't prove one way or the other, but it looks to me like, from where I sit, Satan has torn this one up more than any other form of love. I mean, Storge might get messed up. You probably love something that isn't, isn't lovable. I mean, honestly, you know, oh, I love that song. Well, take it apart a little bit, and you find out it wasn't really even a song. <laughs> like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> or, um, you know, probably we love Storge things that aren't really lovable and so forth. But honestly, Satan has spent more time, I think, on Eros than, anywhere, than anything else. And there's a reason for that. A love so powerful that it actually can create another human life. A love so powerful that Satan knows that he's got to tear this one up because there are too many good things that come from it if he doesn't. All right, question. Are you made in the image of God? I've actually been among some people who say no. And it's really kind of shocking to me. Or they say that we were made in the image of God, but we lost it in the fall. Now, somebody here may be thinking about this. And I'd be interested to have the conversation. Um, the, the image of God was damaged in the fall, but it was not lost. This is, the, this is the way the scriptures unfold this. And multiple times after the fall in Genesis 3, we see this come up again, man made in the image of God. So that's always a hard one. How are we made in the image of God? Well, God doesn't have a body. God the Father does not have a body like you do. God is spirit. Um, God doesn't have a nose and ears and you know, hands and feet and stuff. And, um, and um, so how are you made in the image of God? Well, I can't answer that, obviously, since um, for time's sake and other things, I, my brain runs out pretty fast right there. What we can ask, though, is this. Are you made in the image of God in every particular? Soul, body, spirit, matching a holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Okay. Okay, a body. Is that in the image of God? Being able to see, does God see? Yes. Being able to walk, does God walk? Yes. You see where I'm heading. You're, you're made in the image of God. Is your sexuality made in the image of God? Now, this is where it gets really weird. Okay, you ready? This is the weirdness alert. Because we would not for a minute sexualize the Trinity. Not for a minute would we say, oh, 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 wow, you mean that's what God does? <laughs> We're not there. But what we will do is say this. I hope you take this away because the whole know-how of this, you can see I'm not a very practical person. I just, 
anyway. This is not terribly practical, and I'm sorry about that. But I hope you will take this with you and let it seep into your soul. It is this. Sex is the icon or the signpost of wonderful, ecstatic fellowship that the Holy Trinity has enjoyed from eternity past. Now, I know that's just an assertion right now, but I want you to take it and work it out for the next, you know, some of you got 60 or 70, 80, 100 years ahead of you. I want you to work that out for the next decades. What if sexuality is actually the signpost? It's only the shadow of something that really is grand that the Holy Trinity has enjoyed for all eternity. We can't even bear it till we're 12 or 13. We can't even start. And then we spend our life um, experiencing little, just little glimpses of this kind of ecstasy. What if the Holy Trinity has enjoyed this ecstasy from eternity past in another way far higher, far more noble, far more glorious, and far more mysterious than any sexual experience we've ever had on earth. But still, sexuality is the signpost toward that. Now, that could take a couple of days to work out, honestly, uh, in talks. But I wanted to put that out there. Because here's, here's, the, way, uh, <laughs> um, here, here's the way this, um, this shapes up. You probably read the Bible, like I have many times, and see, okay, the Bible says no to that, and no to that, and no to that, and no to that. And the culture says yes to all of it. My friends say yes to all of it. And the Bible says no, 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 no. Boy, it sure is tiresome. God's such a killjoy. I guess he has our best interest in mind. Yeah, but you know what? And then we don't really understand why would God say it that way? Why would God say, don't go and defraud your brother? Sexuality is for one man and one woman for a lifetime, why would he say it that way? Well, because sex is the icon of something grand. Have you ever read in the Bible that you as believers are being formed into the bride of Christ? Ever heard that in the Bible? (laughs) All right, you can use your imagination. Yes, you can. Jesus Christ is clearly the groom who is shaping and reshaping a bride suited to be married to him one day to invite the bride, all of the elect. By the way, God has, Jesus Christ has the right to choose his bride. There's election. <laughs> Just like you do, men. He has the right to choose his bride, and he has chosen her to invite that bride into the fellowship of the Holy Trinity, the ecstasy that has been known by God himself from all eternity past. Sex is the pointer to this, friends. And you will either tell the gospel truth by the choices and decisions you make, or you will tell lies about the gospel by the choices and decisions that you make. I haven't said a word about I haven't said a word about gender, and I'm, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to close, but I'm going to say um, um, a couple of things. If, um, by the way, people who are struggling with uh, gender issues, um, question mark, am I a man? Am I really a woman trapped in a man's body? That kind of question mark. It's very real. It's upon us, and many people are truly struggling with this. 
Um, if you're wondering how we got here, this book is outstanding to help us get there, uh, to understand how we got to this place in culture, the rise and triumph of the modern self. Uh, Professor Carl Truman, outstanding thinker and um, accessible uh, work about that. Um, if you are wondering from a secular perspective, are there any people who aren't Christian who are speaking out against um, transgender kinds of things? Uh, Abigail Schreier has done a really fine job. Not a Christian, but um, a person who is looking at, this book is called Irreversible Damage. Um, she's looking at the, um, uh, the issues that are coming about in culture today and in individual lives because of making decisions in our youth that are irreversible with respect to transgender issues. I suppose you can fill in those, those gaps. Recommend either of those books for your reading. Here's the thing. We looked at the outward. We looked at the inward. Who, how this, a little bit about how this love is, affects us inwardly. And then we looked at Godward. How does this how does this please God? For God to say, I have a son, and I want him to have a bride, and I want them to enjoy the glories of marriage for eternity in a whole new, glorious, higher ways than our ways way, and I give you the symbol of it while you live in marriage here in the world through your sexual intimacy in marriage. Now, that's the, that's, the, that's the nutshell version of this. It's just a little summary of this. Um, in the end, our, uh, our goal is to please God. Our goal is to please God. And so I hope that we can do that. I, um, I believe that... Um, I believe that's all the Lord would have me to say right now, except to say that this probably has raised more questions than it has answers. And so the talk is far from, far from complete. But perhaps it gives you a, a bit of a new way of thinking about this as you fight your battles. And it would give us, uh, I trust, an opportunity to really be clean before the Lord. So let's, let's bow our heads and ask the, Lord's, ask the Lord's help. So let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Now, for the sake of your Son, grant us forgiveness, restoration through Christ. And allow us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit all our days to come, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, amen.